It's December, which you know means it is the time when every store in the world is going to play these Christmas jams 24-7 with a freaking Santa in the background. Welcome to Cryptic Soup. Santa Claus is coming to kill? Days after a man dressed as Santa Claus murdered nine people at his ex-in-law's Christmas party, comes word he may have even planned for more victims. It happened at her family's home in Covina, when her aunt's ex-husband, dressed as Santa Claus and armed with four semi-automatic weapons, began shooting before setting the home on fire, killing nine of her family members. Hey guys, how are you? I'm good. <laughs> I didn't know if I was asking them or you, so I'm really glad someone answered me. <laughs> well, you say it like someone else is in they the room. Might. No, the listener, they're like listening and they're like, I'm good. How are you today? <laughs> I'm good. Thanks for asking. <laughs> so, guys, this is a big week currently in the true crime world. Kylie has no idea why. No, nope. no idea. So. As of today, we're recording. It is November 30th, which means that yesterday, um, Glenn Maxwell's trial started. The jury selection happened last week. Um, here is some real quick updates for you guys that maybe didn't know what's happening in it, but I'll uh, catch up speed. Prosecutors say Maxwell and Epstein were partners in crime, and that's part of what they're going for. But the defense lawyers are saying Maxwell is actually a scapegoat for Epstein. The jury is going to hear testimonial stories from four of the girls who were trafficked by Epstein and Maxwell. And the defense is attempting to show that the accuser's memories are unreliable. The other strategy they're going to try to do is shift all the blame onto Epstein to make Maxwell seem innocent. The whole court date today, though, got delayed or yesterday. I mean, sorry. Because two of the jurors are having conflicting scheduling issues. So I'm really hoping there's no like mistrials or something doesn't go down. Because for those of you that know anything about Glenn Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein, they are two birds of the same feather. (laughs) I was trying to say kill two birds with one stone. Yeah. Yeah. Two birds of the same feather. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't know anything about it, there's that whole uh documentary filthy rich wait is it filthy rich jeffrey epstein i think so yeah i think that's what it is anyways i we all know a lot about epstein because we've all seen memes we all have the internet but yeah so that's what's happening in the true crime world that's pretty big let's see if uh glenn maxwell goes down for her dirty deeds interesting to know that two jurors are having conflicting scheduling issues like I Wouldn't thought, you just get new jurors at that point? or Well, this is a big case. Maybe well, they've I already know, had such trouble getting them. Maybe. Um, but also, I thought the whole point of the when you narrow down the jury, they know they have to be sequestered and everything else. Right. How do they have a scheduling conflict when you know you're going to be sequestered? There should be nothing in your life. Your job right. takes, gives you time off. Like, if you have kids, they also pay for you to have child care services, everything. Mm-hmm. So I don't understand what conflicting issues could happen unless maybe there's like someone sick or something. Yeah, maybe it's yeah, maybe it's COVID. That's the only thing that makes sense. Anyways, uh, I just wanted to hit up that little true crime, true crime um, life event update. Yeah. (laughs) For those of you that like other true crime stuff that we are not currently covering. But uh, let's move on to Christmas. <laughs> to Christmas. <laughs> so, Kylie, if you could take a vacation, where would you want to go? Um, well, my favorite place in the whole wide world is a place called Orcas Island. It is off of Puget Sound in Washington. That's my favorite place of all time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to tell you about another lovely place you could go to visit. <laughs> I thought you'd just be like, Japan, something simple. Also Japan. I really <laughs> want to go to Japan. <laughs> Same. Um, 
Well, I'm going to tell you about a lovely little place called the beautiful city of Covina in California. It's about 20 miles east from downtown Los Angeles. It's a suburb of L.A. It's within the San Gabriel Valley, which every time I think of the valley, all I think of is a mixture of a Cinderella story and Clueless. (laughs) Valley information. Yeah, do you have a number of a cab company? Both great. Okay, so I'm aware we played the clip, but like, I have to be honest, those two movies both take place in the San Fernando Valley, not in the San Gabriel Valley. (laughs) I typed this whole episode up and then I realized that as I was like laying down in my bedroom and I was like, oh my God, I'm dumb. There's more than one valley. But if I wouldn't have told you guys, not all of you would have caught me. So we live in the Midwest. All the valleys are the same. (laughs) (laughs) California is California. It's yeah. all magical, okay? It's it's all LA. The entire city is LA. <laughs> yeah. There's LA and then Sacramento. That's it. Pretty much, yeah. Well, Covina, that's another place. Covina has a population of 45,000 people and it is an affluent area to live in. The city's slogan is one mile square and all there. What? <laughs> well, see, that sounds weird, but when the city was started, it was one square mile wide and like big. It's now seven square miles. Okay, so why don't you change that? Oh, why change? If it ain't broken, don't fix it. Okay. (laughs) But it is broken because it's no longer one mile. I don't know. It's just a really long mile. Okay. (laughs) So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Covina. Covina is where the Bohemian Rhapsody scene from Wayne's World was filmed. Like the scene where they're in the car and they're singing bohemian rhapsody <laughs> i was gonna start singing it but we all we've had enough of my singing oh go ahead episodes. go ahead you know exactly where it will end up <laughs> i know well this scene was filmed on citrus avenue in downtown covina also a few other wayne's world scenes were filmed in covina covina has many famous people like clyde christensen kylie do you know who that is no he's the offensive coordinator of the miami dolphins uh, football team Oh, yeah, I know absolutely nothing about true crime and sports. That's completely off the table for me. Just thought I'd ask. Nope. Um, Art Clokey and his wife live in Covina. They're the creators of the, the cartoon Gumby. Gumby. <laughs> Ton of famous sports athlete, but a lot of famous baseball players are from there or have retired there. Bobby Rose, uh, Ron Ronicky, Jack Clark, Michael Young, plus tons more. I think... Personally, out of that list, Michael Young's potentially the most famous. He has the most uh, recent events happening for him. So Covina has a uh, colonial feel to the city. It's a lot of mom and pop type shops lining the roads. There's vintage clothing stores, antique stores, ice cream shops. I'm really trying to set a scene so you can understand how heartwarming and just quaint this area is, even though it's super bustling, busy with tons of people. It's right outside L.A., doesn't have the L.A. feel. During the summer, Covina gets extreme heat, but the fall and winter is where it thrives with the San Gabriel Mountains giving the city a nice breeze. However, in the summer, those same mountains catch fire due to the heat. (laughs) Quite recently, probably. Pick your battles here. (laughs) Covina is said to have the best oranges in the world. And in 1909, it was the third largest orange producer in the world. The original In-N-Out is very close to Covina, and there is an In-N-Out in Covina. Have you ever been to In-N-Out? I have. Oh my gosh, it's so good. I went to In-N-Out in California. I got a grilled cheese. Of course you did. <laughs> have you gotten any of the like, uh, like secret menu items? No, not really. Nothing really just appealed to me. I wanted to, but the first time I went to California was the first time I went to California, so I was just like... I need to be like the original first. And then when I come back, I'll get something else. Yeah, I I had the grilled cheese when I went to California. And then I was kind of like, OK, like I'd rather eat like places I could. I get it. I can't get in and out anywhere else. But if I'm just going to eat stuff like that, I'd rather get like a really random hole in the wall place. Or you're so close. Like if you're in L.A., you're close to Anaheim, which has. Disney. So downtown Disney is it's awesome. My favorite restaurant in the U.S. is in California. It's called The Butcher's Daughter and it has a vegan and a vegetarian menu. It's closer to uh, Santa Monica kind of. 
So you can like go from the beach, drive on over and go there. It's it's real cute. And it's a floral shop inside also. So there's like flowers everywhere. It looks like a greenhouse almost. Okay, so we're going to go to California. <laughs> We've taken such a detour. This whole episode has been a detour so far. Sorry, I guys. secretly love California, but Corey will never let us move there because he can't do anything aftermarket on any cars. Like they don't allow that in California. So yeah. he's like, I will never, ever move to California. And I was like... But boo, <laughs> that's what my sibling said. My sister said, I'm never going to move to California. So her and her boyfriend dated for years and were engaged for years while she lived in Texas and he lived in California. And guess where she ended up in um, California. California. <laughs> yeah. My aunt lives there so I can I can visit. But yeah. So, guys, if we have not sold you on California, it's like we're not even recording day. We're in our own world. We're just like, let's talk about California. It's the best place in the world. Well, it was until it wasn't. Yikes. Bum, bum, bum. Until this case happened. Bum, bum, bum. So I got to tell you all about this beautiful place and stuff, but now I can't find a really good segue into my next my next point. So I'm just going to kind of like wing it and just tell you here's the people of the story because <laughs> it's going to take place in Covina do you see how that lined up there you go first we're going to meet Bruce Jeffrey Pardo he was living in the San Fernando Valley see San Fernando Valley does come in in here <laughs> he was working at a jet propulsion laboratory in La Canada Flintred <laughs> as a software engineer it is spelled like Canada, yeah. but there's a little accent over the A Canada. or the, the, the N. <laughs> so it's Canada. Canada. Watch it still pronounced Canada and I like stupid. He graduated from the John H. Francis Polytech High School in Sun Valley of Los Angeles and recently had graduated at Caltech State University in Northridge. Go Caltech. AKA he was a smart cookie. At one point, he even did computer work for NASA after graduating. So he he was smart. He's not not a dummy. Bruce was super smart, but the thing is, he used his smarts for the not so greater good. He lost his job due to hacking into the computers to look at personal information on his coworkers, including their salaries and their work itself in the company. So yeah, he used his brain to do more harm than good in the world. In 1990, nope. <laughs> in 1988, he met a coworker named Delilah when he was 24 years old. They got engaged very fast, and by June 17th, 1989, they had tied the knot. Or they would have if Bruce would have showed up for the wedding. Oh, whoops. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> kind of missed that day. Sorry. So she ended up paying for the honeymoon and wedding entirely with her own savings and only had a few thousand dollars left to her name, which is going to be a running theme with Bruce. He does not share his money with his significant other. Bruce ended up standing her up at the altar and Delilah was heartbroken and he did not contact her for weeks until Delilah realized her bank account was entirely drained and the remaining three thousand dollars was gone. At this point, she found out Bruce had stolen the money. To take a mini vacation by himself in Palm Springs. So he just like egged her on the whole time and then. He said sayonara. Yeah, okay. Sounds like a fine gentleman. In 2001, Bruce moved on to his next relationship with Elena Lucano. This again was a rushed relationship. They moved in together within just a few months of living together. I'm at of dating. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> like, wait a second. They had a child together. We're going to circle back around to this pen that. In 2004, he then had met his newest person because he did not stay with Elena. You will find out why when we come back to that. In 2004, he met Sylvia Ortega Orza. Who? <laughs> so Ortega is her maiden name. No, you, you butchered Sylvia. What did I say? <laughs> Sylvia? It was not great. <laughs> really? Sylvia? Okay. <laughs> I'm thinking about apple pie. Does that have anything to do with it? So I can't concentrate. <laughs> Sylvia? My bad. 
Sylvia. <laughs> I was going to explain all the last names and you're like, no, dude, that's not what I'm nope. <laughs> calling you out on. Okay. Try again. <laughs> yeah, I guess. So. Okay. In 2004, he met Sylvia. Mm-hmm. Sylvia. Sylvia. <laughs> Sounded out here. Ortega Orza. Ooh. He met her through a co-worker, which was one of Sylvia's brother-in-laws, and they instantly fell for each other. Isn't it a sign of narcissism to, like, fall really hard really fast also? It's definitely not healthy. Yeah. Hmm. Background on Sylvia real quick, because we did the background on Bruce. She was one of five children. She had a huge family, and her parents had came over here from Mexico, both of them. And her parents would, like, they were really family-oriented. This whole family was. They would go back to Mexico every year to, like, visit the city they were from and where they were born and raised, things like that. In 1988, she married her first husband, who died tragically in a car accident. They had two kids together. A few years after that, Sylvia married George Orza, who she had another child with. And that is why she has the hyphenated Ortega Orza last name. Pretty much keeping the last name for the kid's sake. So when Bruce had met Sylvia, she had recently gotten divorced from her second husband, and she was super happy to find someone that she was so compatible with after having one husband tragically pass away and a divorce following that. They dated for less than two years before getting married on January 29th, 2006, but right at right away, like after getting married, they instantly had their fair share of problems and their marriage grew very distant, very fast. At this point, Bruce was 45 years old and he hit a very deep depressional slump because he had a severe knee injury that put him out of commission for a while. He was practically bedridden and he stopped spending time with the kids because he was, you know, spending time with Sylvia's kids. He stopped spending time with them. He was gaining weight. He wasn't able to be like spontaneous and loving anymore with Sylvia. He just became a different person. So with that happening, it also had Sylvia grow slightly distance because distant because you know how like when you build your relationship on being like fun and spontaneous and happy and then it all gets ripped away from you, it feels like you're in not the same relationship anymore. So this injury definitely affected what they had, but they also had a lot of other issues. They fought a lot about money, potentially how Bruce had a secret bank account or wanted a secondary bank account. Also how the couple should organize money. Bruce also refused to open a joint bank account with his wife when she asked And he also expected his wife to take care of her three children with her own finances and herself without any help to him. Meanwhile, he's making bank. That's not usually how marriage works, but not at all. I get it like they're not his kids. But at the same time, if you're going to have her be staying But if you're married to someone, you're stepdad. So and she did have a job. She I will get to her job in a minute, but her job is not at all like his job. Right people said they thought bruce was a good father figure though to the kids and that he really cared for them like his own but they weren't his own and so behind closed doors there was other stories pretty much how he just did not think he had to take care of them like his own in the beginning of 2008 sylvia was 43 years old she was working as an administrative assistant and while she was doing the couple's paperwork for their upcoming taxes sylvia saw in the taxes that Bruce had listed a dependent. So she's like, oh, you know, Bruce, you want to have a little talk about this? <laughs> she also called Bruce's mom, and that's pretty much how she found it out, because she was very close with Bruce's family. Her family and Bruce's mom was very close. She loved Bruce's mom. She found out this way that Bruce was concealing a child from his previous relationship with Elena that he never even mentioned to Sylvia. So I told you that this child was part of the reason Elena and him broke up. Here's why. The child was severely injured in a swimming pool accident on New Year's Day when he was 13 months old. Bruce was left alone to watch the child while Elena went to the store. And when Elena returned, the child was face down in the family pool while Bruce was watching TV. Yikes. The child ended up surviving, but had 
was in a severe vegetated state with a lot of brain damage. When Bruce found out his son was never going to fully recover, he just decided to abandon the woman and child and never talk to them again, never support them or pay any money to them ever again. So that's a little bit of uh, neglect there. But so see, that's another thing where I don't know if he was really that good of a dad behind closed doors to these kids. He wasn't even a good dad to his own child. But how did. How did he not get any like repercussions from that? Probably Elena didn't want to rock the boat. Maybe Maybe she was impressed or not impressed. (laughs) She was happy that he was leaving and she didn't want to jeopardize any anything with it more. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Sylvia was so upset by the betrayal of him not telling her that she took the kids and went to her sister's and left Bruce on March 7th, 2008. Before she left him, she did try asking if she could just stay in the home and be separated from Bruce because she didn't want to uproot the kids. But while she was out running an errand, he took her stuff and threw it in the front front lawn. So she's like, gotta see, go. that's when I would have been like, hey, uh, Mr. Popo, my husband uh, left my child um, to drown. And so I would like to press charges and get some. No, that was his and Elena's child. This is him and Sylvia at this point. Oh. Yes. Do you see who's is who's is who's? Okay. (laughs) So in June 2008, the couple went to a local divorce. Okay. Local divorce court. Bruce had confided to a friend of his wife saying, she's taken me to the cleaners. Bruce complained that Sylvia was living with her parents, not paying rent, and had been spending lavish money on a luxury car, gambling trips to Las Vegas, meals at fine restaurants, massages, and golf lessons. Which her family does... Uh, play poker and stuff a lot so she maybe was going to Las Vegas and stuff but I doubt she was having these like lavish gambling trips especially when she still has the kids right just three children and they're younger they're not like super old children and if she was the only one supporting them on an administrative assistant type of yeah no and she did move back in with her family at this point but she was still a mom she was taking care of her kids she didn't just Casey Anthony and pawn her kid around. (laughs) That is a verb now. According to court documents, Bruce was required to pay Sylvia $10,000 as the divorce settlement, and Sylvia got to keep her wedding ring, the family dog, who was a brown Akita named Saki. Oh, (laughs) so cute. And the court ordered Bruce to pay uh, $1,785 a month in support. But he got to keep the house. So it's a good amount of money. Yeah, it would be. But his first check bounced. Okay. His second check, he just decided not to send. And then in July, less than a month later, he was fired from his most current job as an electrical engineer at an ITT electronic system, radar system company. (laughs) Because he was billing false hours. And so the court decided to suspend the support payments due to his job hardships. Okay, but that was his fault. So, (laughs) God, fuck this system. So you would think he would start saving money because he lost his job, right? No, no, definitely (laughs) not. That's just not smart. Well, he didn't because in June, he bought a Sigsar 9mm concealed handgun. I sour sar. I'm sorry if I'm not saying it right. It's a a handheld pistol. I googled it. It it looks like a old school PlayStation One Tomb Raider Laura Croft guns. Laura Croft is like hot. <laughs> like my my guilty pleasure movies and video games. Oh. I freaking love them. <laughs> Same. <sighs> well, he loved this gun so much that in August he bought another one. In September, he bought another one. In October, he bought another one. Kylie, guess what he did in November? Hey, did he buy another one? He bought another one. No way! So over the next four months, he bought four more of the same gun. And he wanted to buy more, but the California state law prevented him from doing so. <laughs> That's about damn time. Like, he did one thing right, California. 
In October, he visited a high school friend in Iowa. But during this visit, he went to a firearm store. <laughs> he could not buy any guns at the current time, though. So he bought 16 handgun magazines that held 18 bullets each because he could not do that in California due to the laws. So he bypassed it by doing it in Iowa while visiting his friend. I 100% just like was thinking of all of these like magazines, like books. And it's like, I mean, I understand now, but just like as soon as you read it, it was like, why is he buying so many? Oh, like, like gun magazines where they're just <laughs> yeah. showing pictures of guns, like fantasizing over all of the guns that he could not buy now in California. No, no. lots of uh, little bullet chambers. Yeah, I'm still blonde. Okay. <laughs> So at this point in the story, he's lost his family, his dog, his wife, his job, and he's miserable. It is entirely his own fault, might I add, though. Yep. I don't feel any pity. I don't either. A week following the divorce was going to be Christmas. And as many of us know, the holidays can be a very hard time for a lot of people. Seasonal depression, regular depression, stress, dealing with gifts, dealing with families, anything in between. Tuesday is like my favorite day because of the Cryptic Soup episode release, you know? Dude, same, honestly. But the thing is, it's like after I listen to the episode to check out how we sound and everything, the whole rest of the day, I have like nothing to do. You know, it is Tuesday. Okay, it's Tuesday. Okay, we could go to the garage. Kylie, why do you think I want to hang out in a garage with you? Not a garage, but the garage, like Garage Arcade Bar in South Bend, Indiana. You are a nerd. How do you not know about Tuesday Anime Nights? Wait, Tuesday Anime Nights? Spill the details. So not only is Garage super cool because it has an arcade, great vibes, and is a fun place just to hang out. But on Tuesday nights, you get to hang with the coolest bartender in town, Rachel, as she slings drinks while anime anime is on the screens all over the bar. Are you actually telling me I can literally go to a bar just to debate who would win in a fight like Tanjiro or Yuji Itadori? Yup. Or like if I want to know, do you personally think if Light deserved what happened at the end of Death Note with someone? Yep, that too. Dude, I want to go and talk anime with Rachel and have drinks. Let's go right now. It's super easy to check in on the Garage Facebook page to see what is happening. They have live bands, karaoke, cosplay events, and so much more. And you can always go in to see some anime on Tuesday nights. What are you waiting for? Check their Facebook or Instagram today. That's at Garage Arcade Bar, all one word, where you can come give your nerd side a little home of its own. So when Bruce started preparing his plan, the first step was to know what the plan was. I'm going to give you the hint. It is not a good plan. It is a bad plan. (laughs) Around 11.30 p.m. on Christmas Eve in 2008, Bruce dressed up as Santa Claus in a suit that he had custom made from Jerry's costume shop. And the reason why it was custom was because he asked for extra space and pockets in the costume. He got this on September 8th, mind you. So this was pre-planned. Incredibly. He got the costume on September 8th. The event takes place on Christmas Eve. That is in December. So he drove himself down to Sylvia's parents' home in Covina, that beautiful town of Covina, where the Ortega family was currently hosting their annual Christmas party. They would invite all the neighbors. It was this big event. All the family would come in. It was in their East Knollcrest Drive home. And there were anywhere from 25 to 45 people in the home at this point. It's a little unknown because people were shuffling in and out. It was later in the evening, you know, because it's about 1130 p.m. People are leaving. The kids are mostly in the back of the home playing games, things like that. A lot of the adults were in the front. They were saying goodbye. They were, you know, shuffling out. The home was decorated. Everything was beautiful. Imagine just the cutest little Christmas Christmas ever. 
<laughs> Christmas, 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 Christmas. <laughs> I was trying to think of like a Christmas movie that the house is super decorated, but since the only Christmas movie I've really seen is just friends <laughs> with Ryan Reynolds, I don't have much to go on. Yikes. We should change that. No. Okay. But the Grinch <laughs> no. is so good. The Grinch. And I am the Grinch. See, there we go. Let's watch it then. In the dining room, Joseph Ortega. Um, he's known as Papa Joe. That's Sylvia's dad. He was playing a late night game of poker. And uh, I guess he was. At, I think he was actually playing Texas Hold'em. He was playing with his wife, Alicia, who goes by Alice. Some of the neighbors and some of his kids. So they're they're adults when I say his kids. Keep in mind, they're all like Sylvia's age, like 40s through 50s. They said that this was the best part of the evening. The game would always get really fun, really loud, really rowdy. Everyone was super into it. It was a big tradition. Their family loved poker and they did this every year. So the people that weren't playing were like standing around watching things like that. The grandkids were playing video games in the back of the house or hanging out in the backyard by the pool. On the second floor of the home was Michael, who was the 17-year-old grandson of Papa Joe. He, uh, Papa Joe and Alice, I'm just going to, I like Papa Joe's name. <laughs> he was playing on his computer and Katrina, Katrina Yosef Polsky, the eight-year-old granddaughter, was sitting with Papa Joe and the family. Bruce knocked on the door with a huge gift-wrapped box. The box contained a rolling air compressor that he converted to deliver gasoline instead. He also had four nine millimeter semi-automatic handguns in tow. So when the door opened, Katrina ran excitedly saying like, oh my gosh, Santa, Santa, it's Santa, you guys. And because they in the past had a neighbor that used to come and dress up as Santa, no one really thought much of this. Now that neighbor did move away actually a few years before. But they thought, like, maybe it's one of the neighbors, like, keeping the spirit alive. Maybe someone was here earlier and they came back, something. So people kind of, like, looked over and noticed that there was a Santa. But when the, it was confirmed, like, oh, yeah, that's a Santa, everyone kind of looked away. One person later did say for a split second they thought the Santa in the door was wearing shooting range glasses. But they didn't, like, really pay much attention because they're paying attention to the game. You know, the poker game is important. Well, and you're not thinking about someone coming in and murdering you. You're just thinking about, you know, Santa's here. Santa's here. It's it's Christmas Eve. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when the door was open, Bruce instantly pulled out the handguns and shot the eight year old niece in the face. Yikes. His next shot was randomly aimed towards some of the people at the party. And that's when people started to run to all the exits. People were diving under the dining room table for cover and things like that. But it was just too late. He shot Sylvia, Papa Joe and Alice. Then secondly, he shot Alicia, James, Teresa, Charles and Sherry. I will explain who these people are, but I just kind of wanted to get an order of how many people and how fast he went about this. Some of the people that were behind the dining room table, like Sylvia, Papa Joe, and uh, Alice, he walked directly over to and execution style shot them in the back. Letitia, who is Katrina's mother, she's also Papa Joe's and Alice's um, youngest child. Uh, she ran out of the home from behind the table when she saw her wounded daughter staggering in the front yard out the front door because she's freaking out. She just saw her child get shot in the face. She made it outside and called the police from a neighbor and the police phone calls were released, including Letitia's. They're kind of hard to hear. I'm going to see if Corey can clean them up a little bit for you guys, but I'm going to insert them so you guys can just understand how chaotic and what a pandemonium this situation was because all these neighbors are seeing things, hearing things, hearing gunshots, freaking out, seeing a little girl with a bloody face stumbling out of a home. It's late at night, though. It's a Santa costume, so you're like, who's even doing the shooting? So we're gonna play some real quick. Are you nine one one? Um, yes, I'm on Northwest Avenue. Uh-huh. I'm a homicidal guy, and he's he shot my little cousin right now. Okay, is there, can you tell if there's anybody injured? Because we have fire department and officers en route. Hello, hello. Hi. Please come immediately. Oh, I'm in your house. Immediately. Ma'am, is the guy in your house right now? We're having two houses down. 
on the cookie stick. Okay, okay. Mia, Mia, hold on, hold on. Is he at your house? No, he's constantly shooting. What do you think his name is? Bruce? His name is Bruce Bordeaux. Okay, and who is he to you guys? Who is he to you? Yes, he was, he's my ex-brother-in-law. He's there going through this right now. Okay. He's my sister. Hold on one second, okay? He's, I don't know who else is alive. I know, I know, ma'am. Just stay on the phone with me, okay? My whole family, there's 30 people, 25 people. I know, I know. It's okay, the officers are there. They're trying to get to you guys, okay? He came in through the entrance of the door, and there's a set of costumes, and I didn't see them. When he shot, I heard the shots, and we, they were like poppers, and I wasn't sure what it was, so we all, everyone started panicking and running, so we all dove under the dining room. Some of us dove, some of us left. I don't know who My mom's house is on the ma'am, ma'am, the fire department's there, okay? What's he wearing? Yeah, what is he wearing? Please. What is he wearing? Please tell me. My nephew. What is he wearing now? He changed his clothes from Santa Claus clothes. Okay, let me know what he's wearing. Black clothes. So Letitia is frantic in that call. She is trying to describe what happened. She's talking about her. Like she's so worried about Katrina. But one good thing I have to tell you, Kylie, because Katrina will make it out of the story. Yay. Katrina is actually living great still to this day. Good. So investigational sources say that Katrina saved her own life because she turned her head to the side at the last minute. And so the bullet struck her along the side of the jaw more than anything. Wow. And I bet she didn't even realize she's doing it. She probably no. like just got nervous and turned, you know, or like you hear like a loud. Yeah. So you like kind of flinch. She, yeah. she may not have even meant to move. She maybe flinched. And no. Yeah. Her. She probably didn't mean to. Yeah. But here's a really sad thing. When the door was first open and Katrina was running over, the first thing Bruce did was he picked her up kind of in the air and like as if he was going to swing her around or like hug her or something mm-hmm. like that. And then he set Katrina back down and that's when he like grabbed the gun and shot her in the face. He. Nice. Toyed with her emotions. Yeah. He. I'm just thinking of like the the dads that will like throw yeah. their kids up in the air. So like she probably thought that like Santa was playing. Mm-hmm. Kylie, what's with this newfound when you're upset you say nice? <laughs> let's I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> let's talk about that thing you're doing now. Sorry. The more angry you're getting, you're saying nice in a happier tone and it's making me nervous. Sorry. I don't mean it. I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> So the police were getting all these multiple calls about the shooting happening at the home within minutes. After the shootings, Bruce unwrapped the rest of his package that contained the modified compressor in which he then used to spray gasoline in and around the home. His intended plan was then to use a flare to light the house ablaze. However, like I said, Bruce is really smart, but smart people often do dumb things. (laughs) And this was one of them. It was Christmas. Obviously, they were like having a cute family day. They had candles lit in the home. So when he was spraying this accelerant, the house caught fire instantly, much faster than Bruce had planned or prepared. Good. You suck. Dumbass. (laughs) The police got numerous phone calls also about this. They knew at the rate that people were describing the fire that some sort of accelerant had to be used because the intensity was just growing so fast. The fire was approximately 40 to 50 feet tall. It engulfed the home and took 80 firefighters an hour and a half to distinguish. The entire house is destroyed. That is a ton of firefighters. Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a, a lot. Due to the intensity of the fire, identification of the victims was done with dental records or medical records. So 13 of the children were orphaned after this massacre and two other children had lost at least one parent. During the events, one survivor managed to get out and run to a neighbor's house where they called authorities and they were able to give a more firsthand account, which helped the police kind of know what they were looking for when they were getting there. Letitia also helped give a firsthand account. When the police arrived, they could only account for 25 of the people that should have been in the home and only 16 were present at the moment. So they were then starting the hunt for nine people. 
the death toll ended up being nine people, three from death, dead from gunshot wounds specifically, four from a mixture of gunshot and fire, and two specifically from fire. Also, three people were severely injured. A 16-year-old girl was shot in the back. A 20-year-old had broken her ankle because she jumped out of a second-story window. And I'm going to go over the people really quickly and tell you a little bit about each one so you can understand how tragic of a loss this was for the family because it was mostly the immediate family of Sylvia and Papa Joe and Alice that this happened. Joseph S. Ortega, 80 years old at the time. It was Bruce's father-in-law. He died from multiple gunshot wounds. He moved here from Mexico. He loved playing poker. He started his own industrial paint company, and it was very lucrative. He loved Frank Sinatra, and he was super in love with Alice since the day he met her. He said that he was like 22 through 24. I can't remember what age she was 17 and he saw her riding her bike and he's like he looked at his friend and he's like I'm gonna marry that girl someday no he he loved her from the day he saw her he also loved to collect baseball cards Alicia Sotomayor Mayor 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 Sotomayor is it Sotomayor it's Spanish Ortega She was 70 years old. It was Bruce's mother-in-law. She died of a gunshot wound to the abdomen. She moved here from Mexico also. She was super family-oriented. She was more quiet and shy than her husband, but a super heartwarming person. The couple was married 50 Next, these are all the people that passed away, by the way. The next person was James Ortega, 52 years old. It was Bruce's brother-in-law. He was Alice and Papa Joe's oldest child. He was a homebody, and he was said to be a very serious guy. Next, Teresa Ortega, 52 years old. This is James's wife, so it would have been Bruce's sister-in-law. She was a mother to three children, and she loved her children and James. Charles Ortega, 50 years old. He was another brother-in-law, so this was another one of Papa Joe's kids. He was married to Sherry. He is who Papa Joe passed the family business down to, which there was no, like, bad blood or anything, even though he wasn't the oldest kid, because James ended up working for the company and ended up starting his own business, so they, they it stayed a family business. He was full of energy, he was outgoing, and he loved playing basketball, Next that passed away was his wife, Sherry Lynn Ortega, 45 years old, his wife and Bruce's sister-in-law, mother of five children who would love to convince her husband every Friday to pick the kids up early from school to take a weekend vacation together. No, they loved going to the desert, they said. Next was Alicia Ortega Ortiz, 46 years old. This would have been Bruce's sister-in-law, and she was the oldest daughter of Papa Joe. She was recently divorced. She had three kids named Michael, Monique, and Cicely. They were all fluent in Spanish as well as English. Michael was the one that was upstairs playing video games. Sylvia Ortega Pardo, 43 years old. This was his ex-wife. She died of a gunshot wound. She had three children from the first two marriages, like I said. She loved her children more than anything and she was said to be very bright and cheerful and lastly was michael andre ortiz he was 17 years old this was um the child of alicia this was bruce's nephew he died in the fire while playing video games on his computer upstairs he wasn't able to get out of the house no why didn't he jump out like i don't remember her name that hurt her ankle i didn't know it oh okay um Probably just too fast. It might have been. Yeah. Depending on where it was located, things. I'm sure that also with how fast the accelerant happened, your lungs were just obliterated. Yeah. And it was probably really smoky, too. Yeah. The police at this point were hearing different stories from the neighbors and were finding enough pieces of the puzzle to realize they're searching for a Santa that's culprit to this crime. 
Some neighbors recalled that they saw a blue car on the street driving with no lights on right after the house went up in flames and it was leaving the area and it was said to be probably a blue Dodge. As the house was burning, Bruce did not stay to watch his gruesome plan unfold. Instead, he changed out of his Santa outfit and back into his normal clothes. He then drove his blue Dodge Caliber (laughs) rented car over to his brother's home in Silmar, which is 30-ish miles away. So like 30, 40 minutes. Probably California, 40, 40, 50 minutes. (laughs) Or more with the freaking highway. On a Christmas Eve, though. That's the only reason I think maybe less. Oh, yeah. People staying up. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. So he went to his brother's house. Uh, Brad Pardo enters the story, enters the chat here. (laughs) 44 years old, he was at a Christmas party when he came home around 3 a.m. to find his brother Bruce dead in his home on his couch. (laughs) It takes a turn. So the police were called and Bruce Pardo's body was found with a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. But they did not know if it was self-inflicted at this point. There was an exit wound from a 9mm gun on the top of Bruce's head. So in the end, we find out that he stuck the gun in his mouth and pulled the trigger. He was also wearing his wedding ring. But what a coward. Yes. Yes. <sighs> just just wait and hear all of his stupid plans. He's the worst. <laughs> we say that every time, but he also he really is. <laughs> so he had a nine millimeter gun in his lap and then another one on his floor next to the body. There was a second bullet hole in the wall behind Bruce, though, and this made the authorities think at first, like, is this a murder? Did someone shoot him? Because he wasn't in the Santa outfit. So they were like, yeah, we know everyone at the party maybe said he could be part of it, but he is 45 minutes away and he's not in a Santa uniform. Right. Like there's these gunshots. Maybe it wasn't him and he's being framed and that's I don't know. So Brad said he didn't know anyone that could want to hurt his brother, Bruce. And initially it seemed like there was something unusual, but they didn't know if it was a suicide or homicide. Police believed that Bruce had not intended to commit suicide because he had actually purchased a plane ticket on Canadian Airlines with a layover in Iowa, which is where his friend lived. Remember that he hung out with in October. Bruce had called his friend just days before this to tell him that he's going to visit but investigators were unsure if this is intended as a real visit or if the flight and everything is to fool investigators. Because they're, they're pretty sure they know, but they're like, well, we, we got to get evidence. The police started to look into Bruce's past and they found something really interesting. Bruce held no criminal record or history of violence, but did you know that he was recently divorced from Sylvia Ortega? Whose family was just massacred? Oh, no way. Whoa. What? what? I almost said Salivia. I almost said it weird again, but it was a different weird this time. (laughs) Saliva. We did Sylvia Likens. How come I can't say this? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Lots of telling things taught the police what really happened. Here's some weird things. Police found $17,000 in like... uh, Cling, cling wrap. Uh, what is that stuff called? Poly thing. Ziploc. Uh, ten foot. No. Aluminum. No. Zip. Te- saran wrap. Saran wrap. Saran wrap. <laughs> <laughs> you got there. <laughs> I said poly at one point. <laughs> cling, cling wrap. Yeah. It was okay. a saran wrap to his legs, like inside a girdle. So then he was taken to the coroner where other interesting things were discovered within the autopsy. There was cocaine in his system, meaning he had done it that night. There was handgun powder residue on both his hands and his clothes. He also had severe third degree burns on his hand, arms and neck. Some that had a red white material that was melted into his skin and into his wounds. What? Who wears a red and white outfit, Kylie? Oh, well, uh, Santa Claus does. Kidnap the Sandy Claus. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even like the Nightmare Before Christmas. (laughs) Don't lie. (laughs) Apparently it's my secret favorite movie. Yeah. Subconsciously, you absolutely love it. Yeah, apparently. 
So the police knew that all this was linked, but they were trying to figure out the last bits of evidence or know the reasoning to why Bruce did this massacre only hours before. They searched what Bruce had on him at his time of death, and the police found a key fob. And it was on Bruce's body, and it was what went to the rental car. (laughs) How they found the rental car was once they found the key fob, they just started walking up and down streets, pressing the lock and unlock button (laughs) (laughs) until a car went off. Like when you forget where you park, you're just like... Where is it? That Seinfeld episode when they're like walking around a garage all day. Okay. So, and it's really funny if you watch, I forget which documentary I watched, but one of them, they were like, so we did some investigative reporting. Here's how we did it. We walked down the streets with the key fob and pressed the panic button till a car went off. And we investigated that the car is that car. (laughs) No kidding. (laughs) I'm like... All right, man. Right, got it. <laughs> good to know our tax dollars are going to good use there. <laughs> Yay. So the car that went off was a blue Dodge Caliber, and it matched all the neighbor's descriptions. It was parked only like a block away from his brother's house. It had remnants of a Santa suit in it. Also, there were four 13-round capacity handguns that were empty. But there were 200 more rounds of ammunition and dozens of flares. They thought that everything inside the car looked like a threat. And so they were treating it as a threat, which luckily they did because a former bomb squad member who was on the police squad was attempting to remove a portion of the Santa suit. He was using um, like a robot thing. And luckily they had already taken pictures of the vehicle and stuff because it started a fire within the vehicle that exploded burning and destroying the car and everything in it. And it would have potentially killed them. Yikes. Like if they just like went in and grabbed it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was booby trapped and rigged by Bruce to turn into this explosion if touched at all. He's such a dick, dude. Too smart. Too smart. So at his, the the next step was to go to his home. (laughs) Because remember he was found at his brother's home. Right. So they went to Bruce's home in Montrose and police had recovered five empty boxes for semi-automatic handguns, a Benelli M2 tactical shotgun, four other shotguns, and a container of high-octane fuel tank gasoline, which is what he used to accelerate the fire. They also found what they described as a virtual bomb factory in his home. Okay. Then behind his home, he had a workshop shed thing. And in it, the plan was laid out in detail, like everything. So maybe this guy is the guy. It had a list of products he would need to make bombs, where to buy them, booby traps, how to make booby traps, and anything in between. One of the devices in there was plans to make a homemade flamethrower. <laughs> So at the same time all this was happening, another call was put into the police. A man named Scott Nord called in saying there's a RAV4 um, just being suspicious outside his home. He said that the person had parked near his house days ago, left the car, and it hasn't moved since. But it was not normally there and it didn't belong to anyone in his neighborhood. So he just wanted the police to check it out. Kylie, 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 Kylie. <laughs> yes, Dana. I, I didn't write it in the notes because I didn't want you to know. Ask me who Scott Nord is. Oh, gosh. Who's Scott Nord? Sylvia's defense attorney for her divorce. What? Okay. Okay, keep going. Boom, baby. It's all coming together. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's all coming together. Get it? Like from the imprisoning group. Boom, baby, is what the emperor says. But then later, Kronk's like, oh, yes, it's all coming together. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote that in the notes, so I don't ever get to say it. Pull the lever. Kronk. Run lever. <laughs> I kind of love that movie. <laughs> that is in my top five faves. <laughs> so... And I was really excited to do that. Um, Yeah, so they called the police about this RAV4. So the police get there and they notice that 
This car is Bruce's car. (laughs) Okay. So in this car, he had his computer tower, maps to Mexico, more weapons, more ammo, food, water, clothes, bags, packed, everything. And that was it. They think he was the, 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 what they think this is entirely, um, hearsay. Yeah. Like a, like a, like a. A theory. Yeah, theory, theory, theory. They think he wanted to kill um, Nord and then run away to Mexico after all these crimes. Because remember, the police weren't sure if he was going to commit suicide anyways because of the plane tickets and stuff. This was just another thing. They were like, was he going to run away? So was it just coincidence that it was in front of his house? Um, Well, no, they really do think he wanted to kill Scott Nord because he had so many weapons, ammo and like plans. Um. There are a few different theories of what his actual plans were, but a lot of people don't think he was going to commit suicide. There is reasonings why people believe what they believe. I'm going to real quick give you a few of them. They think that maybe he realized it was too late. Things were going awry or that maybe he got really nervous. Maybe he regretted what he had done. He knew he would be caught and he wouldn't be able to live through it when people found out he killed children like Katrina, things like that, because obviously he didn't think Katrina was going to make it. Another big, big suspicion is people were like, he didn't expect to get hurt doing this. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. The burns. And he also got attacked by some of the family members. When he was shooting people, some of the family members attacked him, even though they were like, as they should. Yeah. Um, And with that happening, like maybe the burns did hurt so bad and stuff. Maybe he thought like, I'm going to go to my brother's house. I'm going to like put, you know, water on the burns or whatever. I'm going to do milk on him. I guess you can do that. and maybe he was just like, nah, fuck this. I'm done. I can't live through this. I can't go to the doctors. Obviously, everyone's going to know. Right. What am I going to do? Like, so maybe he's just like. Because they were severe, right? Third degree Third burns. degree. Yeah. His, like, they didn't say arms his face, but I'm sure there was some specklings on his face. Yeah. But it was on his arms, his hands, his neck, like probably through parts of his stomach and stuff, too. Because mm. if that if he's spraying a gasoline type product through a nonetheless homemade air compressor type right it's splashing back on him and he yeah (laughs) i don't know how to explain that in words but it's a fountain of flames yeah so um since the event and i mean obviously he's not going to be put on trial or anything he's dead um so here's pretty much what's happened since most of the families passed away obviously So in 2013, Letitia became pretty much the head of the family. She was the baby of the family, remember? But all of her siblings and stuff have almost all passed away and everything. She adopted some of the nieces and nephews with her husband. And over the past few years, she's became head of the family and she has helped rebuild the lives of them as much as possible. They still have an annual Christmas party that they spend with their family and try to keep the family's spirit and joy alive. They don't think this is enough to break their family. Some of the friends and family that did survive say their biggest life regret is to not fight Bruce off and try and take him down. But you just never know like how you're going to react in that type of situation. That and with what Bruce was packing. Yeah. And since in the end he did go down with the ship, I have no feelings that he wouldn't have fought dirty, fought back. He would have mm-hmm. slayed and done anything he had to. Yeah. The Ortega family still loves and stays in touch with Bruce's mother. Oh, they told her it is not her fault that Bruce is the way he is. They still care about her. They reassured her. They talked to her after this, everything, because she was nervous that they were like going to blame her for it. Yeah. Nope, not at all. Like I said, Katrina is alive and well. She is an advocate. The whole family kind of is, but Katrina is the most known for it. She speaks out on gun violence. A few years ago, there was a school shooting and she went on the news to read the names of the victim and talk about gun safety, especially around younger people. As well, um, she was in therapy for a really long time growing up. Supposedly, what happened was every year around Christmas, she would become a homebody because anyone that looked like Santa, she couldn't. She was so young when this happened. She was eight. She still believed in Santa. So when she would see Santa's, she understood that Santa wasn't real and that that wasn't Santa nonetheless. But it was still such a concept. It kind of stunted her. It's like PTSD. over it. Yeah. Yeah. And so every time she saw anyone as Santa or anything that was Santa, 
she would have these post-traumatic stress disorder moment and things were happening. So Letitia and Katrina sent her to counseling for a lot of it, but she also said she became a really intense homebody around the Christmas time. I don't blame her. Which I can't imagine how hard that would be because it's everywhere. It's impossible to get away from Christmas. Yeah. So there is, I use a lot of sources for this, a lot of different like shows and, uh, I mean, documentaries and news articles and things. So uh, I used an uh, uh, audio book, but if you want to watch something fast and simple, there is a film that's based off this. It's called Silent Night. It's not like a documentary. It's just like a film because we talked about last month being our month of films. I thought it was funny. There's a film on this, too. (laughs) I'm just not getting rid of it. It's a story about a guy who dresses up as Santa and attacks a Christmas party that his ex-wife happens to be attending that he attacks with a flamethrower. Sounds sounds a little bit familiar. It's really like it. So that is the uh, Santa of Covina. It's pretty sad case to start December off with. Yeah, a little bit. We're not going to get any happier, though. I'm going to let you know. <laughs> we're gonna, it, is, it is crime. We're going to have one fun one. We're going to do a cryptid. Oh, yeah. We'll, Here we are. We'll throw a cryptid out to you because we're going to do we're going to do a, a a cryptic soup cryptid um what's it called? <laughs> Premiere. Like, <laughs> like a, what words are you looking cryptid. for right now? <laughs> Yo, I don't know what's happening to me today. I'm struggling. I couldn't even think of the word struggling. I did notice that when we recorded during the day, we were very much more like on point. <laughs> and we always <laughs> record at night and it's just so much more difficult. We like we eat, we kind of sit around, yeah. we relax and we're like, hmm, it's almost time for bed. Should we record? We should probably record. Yikes. Well, this was the, what it it's what we're bringing to you. <laughs> Our slap happiness all the way. <laughs> all all the way, all the time, all for you. So we want to give a big old Christmas wonderful theme song to thank you, Damon Vokovsky, as always. <laughs> he is such a gem. Honestly, this man helps us a ton. He listens to Kylie and I make him change our plans only about three million times we're like so here like we like this but so like here what about this change this one thing okay what makes that like 0.2 percent faster okay and then like what about this like shoo can we change that to something oh, like it went zoop. can we do zoop? <laughs> zoop. oh wait there's three swoops can we change it to two <laughs> when we created the theme song i said i really like accordions can you put an accordion in there <laughs> He put an accordion in and I go, nope. turns out I didn't know what an accordion is. I don't like accordions. I meant harmonica. He's like, God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> so hit up Damon Vokoski if you ever need some really cool sound bits, sound bites. If you need some theme music just to, you know, play in your head throughout your day. He is awesome at this. Artworks by Taylor with Lab Monkey Creative on Instagram. Hit him up for all your artwork needs. Our editing is done by Corey with core.media.photography on Instagram. He recently shot um, Ice Nine. Ice Nine Kills, the band. Yeah. These photos are awesome, you guys. Go take a look if you want to see some really cool photos. Ice Nine and Currents is huge, too. Yeah. He's been, he's been grinding out I'm stuff. super jealous he got to see Currents. I've seen Ice Nine like four different times, but I really wanted to see Currents. I wasn't able to go. We are lucky to have such talented people as part of the Cryptic Soup fam. So we want to say thank you for all you do to help us out. Please don't forget to follow our Instagram at Cryptic Soup Pod. Our DMs. <laughs> <laughs> our DMs are always open for suggestions. Slide on in. Slide on in. The Apple Podcast reviews and ratings will give you a shout out on the next episode you guys want to get featured so remember to subscribe follow tune in keep up with us and we'll see you next time for the next episode next tuesday stay tuned
weird having superpowers. And by that, I mean, meaning I can hear everything ever. <laughs> because that's, this is what it feels like to be a superhero. It's weird to have superpowers. Excuse me, what? <laughs> yeah, I can hear really well. Cool her down! Click, clack, click, clack. I'm Shiro, click, clack. I'm Shiro, clack, click, click, clack, click. Shiro, Shiro, clack, clack, clack. <laughs> that's Shiro's theme song. You know where that's gonna go. <laughs> it's not my fault. He sounds like he's wearing tiny little high heels. He's wearing like tiny little Polly Pocket high heels on all of his little toenails. Thank you for kisses. <laughs> it's just so appealing. I don't know if that's the right word. It is fun to listen to yourself make noise. Like in the headset. Yeah, in real life, that's fucking disgusting. And any <laughs> fucker that does fucking ASMR can fucking just. <laughs> <laughs> I said, turn myself so I recorded that. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> I talk shit about ASMR people all the time. You don't have to. You don't have to think you're not going to catch it because I'll do it again. Trust me. Sorry, ASMRs. ASMRs? ASMRists. All right, I'm done. Okay. ASMR artists. Fine. Oh, wow, Corey. That was not ASMR worthy. Like, like. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>